Well, welcome. How you guys doing, Coastal? How you doing today? You good? Can you guys help me do a really, really, really cool thing? Can we welcome everybody that is over at Lighthouse Point? Yeah, we love you guys. I'm so excited that you guys are hanging out with us. My name is Susie, and I'm the youth pastor here, so I get to hang out with all the crazy middle school and high schoolers. It is my favorite thing. If you are in middle school or high school and you are not hanging out with us on a Wednesday night, you are missing out. Let me just start it there. Well, I'm excited to be hanging out with you guys today. It's been a while. Um, but before I get into this message that I truly believe is going to be just very raw, very vulnerable, um, just re real, real. That's, I, don't know, I hope you guys are ready to get real today. And if not, too bad, you're stuck here, you're already in the building, and you're just going to have to deal with it. But I want to make sure that I honor our pastors, Pastor TJ and Shayla McCormick. Uh, man. Let me just tell you, something that I love about them is that they have no quit in them. Um, everything that we get to experience today, whether it's the community that you have, the life-giving messages, um, just being able to sit in here is, is, is a byproduct of them not giving up. And, and, and that Lighthouse Point, like, let's be real, all of that is because they never gave up. There are sacrifices that were made and so many different things. And so we honor you guys in this house today. Can we make some noise for our pastors? We need to hear you over at Lighthouse Point. Love it. Um, I also want to honor my husband, Kyle. He's in the back, makes everything happen back there. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you just for being such an incredible spiritual leader of our home. Your prayers is what gets me through a lot of my days. And so thank you. Um, and then the whole reason I haven't been up here in so long, I've been missing you guys, is because of this little guy up here. He's been taking up all my time. Um, this is Maverick. Maverick is seven months almost. And so... He, he's cute, but he's a lot of work, so they're crazy, man. Um, so what I want to know is, have you guys ever been in a transition? Have you ever had a big transition in life? Yeah? I hope so, because we're all really old in here, so... I hope you guys have at least had one. If you haven't had one yet, I'm so sorry. Um, but this has been a huge transition for me to come into being a parent, and there's so many new, new things. It's been this season of, of stretching and expanding and just learning more about myself. And how many of you guys know that those words sound super, super cool until you're in it, you realize that they really, really suck. And so this has just been this season of just like straining forward, trying to hear from God. Sometimes God feels like he's silent in these seasons. And so sometimes I just read God's word and it just seems like mere words in a book instead of being this live and active sword. And I, I just feel like, man, maybe God is just not moving. God's not speaking. And so what I want to do today is really encourage you. If you are in this season where you feel like God is not speaking and God is not moving and God might be silent and might be stretching you and growing you and expanding you and it's tough and it's uncomfortable, I am here to tell you to not give up. You know, Pastor TJ, the past two weeks have just been giving these incredibly life-giving messages. And if you miss them, you should just come to church more often. Um, you know, I know that we're like a once a monther in South Florida, but if you come every week, it actually like builds on each other. It's really, really good. And so if you did miss it, it's on YouTube. You can go back and watch it. But it's really one of the only reasons that I'm up here today um, is just because of that encouraging word. And, and what I know is that I know right here that God is good. Can I get an amen? amen? We know God is good. God is good all the time. All the time he is good. I know that God has a great plan for all of us in this room. Can I get an amen? Yeah. I know that God wants the ridiculous for our lives over the reasonable, yeah. right? Yeah. But sometimes in life, 
I don't always see how that's going to happen. I don't always feel like that's taking place. And I don't understand how God is going to move. I don't understand how the things that he's promised are going to come to fruition. I don't understand how all of this stuff is going to take place. I don't see what God is doing. And because of that, a lot of times we can get disheartened. We can feel numb. We can feel like, man, God has given up on me. And maybe in those moments we feel like we want to quit. And so what I'm here to tell you today is don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. And so what I've titled this message is that it is called A Miracle in the Making. Can everybody say, I'm a miracle? miracle. All right, can we say it like you actually mean that over at Lighthouse Point? Say, I am a miracle. miracle. Yes. Listen, you are a miracle in the making. God is working. God is doing something. God has not given up on you. He he has not left you nor forsaken you. He is at work, whether you feel it or not. And so that is what we're going to dive in today is a story of a man named Naaman in the Bible who almost quit before his miracle took place. And so this man, Naaman, um, is what we're going to call him if it's pronounced another way that you like. Um, I'm so sorry. I watched 10 videos on how to say this man's name. And I felt like I was watching the comedian A.A. Ron, where he's like, A.A. Ron. And he's like, "Uh, do you mean Aaron? And he's like, yeah, present. Um, So many different things. But so Naaman is going to be his name today because nobody knows how to pronounce it. And we find him in 2 Kings 5, and this is where he gets introduced. It says, now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was this valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. Leprosy. I just wanted to know what a crowd sounded like to say that word. It's it's an odd word to repeat back. I just want to see if it would work. And so leprosy right here is actually a catch-all phrase for any type of skin condition. It didn't necessarily mean the leprosy that we know of today. So it could have been psoriasis, it could have been acne, it could have been anything. But I want us to relate a little bit more to Naaman. And what we have to do is we have to go back to middle school. Does anybody want to go back to middle school? You know, right? Middle school is the worst. The hormones, the emotions, like all of that stuff. It's just bad. And so, but, we, but today we're going to go back to, to middle school. Do you remember, did anybody struggle with acne? Anybody have acne? You're going to admit it, not admit it. I'm going to go back on your Facebook. So I'll find it. So listen, if you struggle with acne, you know what that was like, man. You could have this giant zit on your face, right? And you're walking in and you just feel like everybody is looking at your zit and you're like, my eyes are right here. Don't look here, they're here. And you just get a little bit insecure. You feel like everybody's staring at that, a little insecure. Uh, You feel like people are just staring at it and it can be this thing that you focus on so much because you know that it's there and you feel like everybody's looking at it. And so I actually didn't struggle with acne very bad in middle school and high school. You can hate me for a second, but it it comes back in around. And so I'm in college, right? In college, I studied sports medicine. And in sports medicine, we have very, very crazy schedules. We're at 5 a.m. workouts. We have class all day. We got to be in the training room until 10 p.m. sometimes before and after the athletes. Like, it is a tough, tough schedule. And you really can't get sick. Like, there is no getting sick. You can't make up your hours. There's nothing. Like, you got to fight through it. You're, you're doing all these things, not feeling good. And so I go home one day, and I was talking to my roommate who is from Lithuania. And I was like, man, I am really not feeling feeling good. And she goes, Hey, listen, I know that you might be feeling a little feverish. I have this pill that if you would just take it, it's going to break your fever. So I was like, that sounds great. And us college students, we're really dumb. We'll take whatever you give us. There's nobody like watching on Instagram for all the ingredients. Like nowadays, I don't, I didn't know what the ingredients were. It's from another country. I don't know how it's going to respond to my body, but I was like, that sounds like a great idea. And so I take this pill 
next morning I wake up and I was like, man, I feel great. Like that did what it was supposed to do. I don't have a fever anymore. And so I walk into the bathroom, I'm starting to get ready. And I look in the mirror, guys, I got a big forehead. My entire forehead was filled with acne. I had bumps all over my face that had just swarmed around. And so I go into the training room and every single football player is like, yo, I didn't know that you had acne. I say, yeah, thank you. It happened last night. Yo, I didn't know that you had acne. I said, thank you. Yeah, it happened last night. Yo, I didn't know you had acne. I go, listen, let's go back to when you didn't know my name and didn't talk to me. And that would be great because I know I didn't have acne. Last night, it happened all, all in one night. It was like a reverse miracle. And so I got so desperate. Yo, I, I drove home. I went to school in Virginia, drove 14 hours, made an appointment with my dermatologist. And I said, whatever you need to give me, give me right now because I am an adult and adult aren't supposed to have acne. And so I took whatever it was, but I was so desperate. And listen, I knew that people back in middle school, high school were taking some crazy drugs to cure up their acne. Like we get desperate in times when we want a healing from something, especially if we can physically see it. And so that's where we find Naaman. Naaman is so desperate for this healing because I just imagine him being this guy straight out of 300, right? He is this valiant warrior, ripped abs with a face full of acne. And so he's like, man, I got to get rid of this. I'm, I'm standing before kings. I'm standing before all these highly regarded people. I'm, I'm in the constant... Uh, companionship of royalty. Like, I can't have this spot that is embarrassing. I don't want to feel insecure when I walk into rooms, and so I, I want this healing for this place. And so one of his wife's servants actually tells him, hey, if you go to this prophet that's in Israel, he'll be able to heal it, no problem. And so Naaman's like, all right, I'll do that. And he goes to his master, the master's by all means, go get it done. Clearly the king wanted it gone too, whatever it was. And he's like, yo, go wherever you gotta go. You need to get that taken care of. And so he drives, he uh, drives, <laughs> Just kidding. He did not drive. Um, he went to this place, and he actually goes and stands before the king of Israel, not the prophet. Why? Because you got to remember, he didn't follow the same God as this prophet. So to him, a prophet was just another lowly commoner. Like, he wasn't going to go to this lowly commoner's house. He was going to go to the king, the top dog, so that everybody knew that he was highly esteemed and that he was a man of just, of just massiveness. I don't know, whatever. So he had a big ego. Let's say that. And so he's like, listen, I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to ask the king for healing. And so the king looks at him. He's like, I've never healed a man in my day. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you guys trying to pick a fight with me? There's like a war that almost got started. And Elisha, the prophet, hears of this. And he's like, yo, 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 just send him to me. And I will, I will take care of it. I got this. And so the king sends Naaman to Elisha. And this is where we pick up in the story in verse 9. It says, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots. And I want to stop right there. Listen, it reminds me of Aladdin when he's going into whatever city that was, trying to prove his dominance. He's like, look at all my, what's that song? I don't know, sing it. Anyways, you guys like Disney. I don't. He goes and he's trying to prove his dominance. And so here he shows up to Elisha's house with all these chariots and all these horses. And he's like, look at me. Do you know what a great man I am? And he's knocking at Elisha's door. And look what Elisha does. It says that Elisha sent a messenger. So not even this lowly prophet to who he even sends his servant, who is a servant of a commoner. He sent him to say, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God. I want you to underline his God right there. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
are not Abana and Farfar. I don't know. I didn't watch YouTubes on those ones. So the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went off in a rage. And if I'm honest with you guys, I relate with Naaman right here because if I showed up and something wasn't turning out how I thought it should turn out, I get disheartened. And a lot of times I quit before I ever get started. If things aren't playing out and here Naaman shows up to the house of Elisha and not only will the king can't do something about it, but he goes to this lowly commoner and, and he won't even come out. So he sends a messenger and Naaman's like, does this dude know who he's talking to? Does he know whose presence he's in? He has the audacity to not come out and, and do the miracle in this moment. Does he know who I am? And so it's not coming from the person that he wants, and it's not happening the way that he wants, and it's not happening in the time that he wants, and there's too many steps that goes along with it. And if I'm honest with you, I'm with Naaman, because if you send me a recipe that is any more than five steps, I am not doing it. I don't care if it fits inside your 15-second Instagram reel. I'm not going to do it, because that's going to take too much time. And so here Naaman's like, listen, this is stupid. I don't even know why I just traveled all this way. I believed for this healing. I believed for this thing. I believed that this random God that I have never even known was going to do some miracle in my life. And he's a little disheartened and he's angry because he just wasted so much of his time. And I think a lot of us quit right here. We quit in this moment because it's not coming from the person that we want, the way we want it, how we want it, in our timeline. God's not answering our prayer requests. He's not listening to what I want. And because he's not listening, he must not be moving. He must not be speaking. He must not be present. So I'm done. And we leave. And we leave before the miracle has even had a chance to get started. And so I want to keep reading about what Naaman does. In verse 13, it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father... If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you to simply go wash and be cleansed? And so Naaman decides he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before them and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And I love this story because Naaman actually gets the healing for the miracle that he was praying for. But I think that there's some things that Naaman did that got him to the place of that healing. And so what I wanna do is I wanna study what he did, how he responded and what we can take from it to not quit in the middle of our miracle or not quit before it ever even gets started. And so if we're not gonna quit in the middle of our miracle, then number one, we need some self-awareness, dude. Listen, Naaman was wanting healing from something that he could see. It was a physical condition that he was so stuck on because that was all that he could see. But what God really wanted to heal him of was an inward condition of pride. There was this root of the symptom that God wanted to heal, but he was so focused on the symptom, he didn't even know that God wanted to heal something deeper. And I think this is what happens with us so often is we get focused on the symptom. You know, in sports medicine, they taught us, listen, if an athlete walks in and they have a sprained quad, a lot of times it's because an imbalance of their hips is the root of that symptom. And if you don't treat the root of the imbalance, it will continually keep spraining over and over and over again. And how many of us, that's our life, we have this same symptom, whether it's a bad relationship, poor finances, bad decisions that keep happening over and over again. And we walk into church with failing marriages, failing finances, failing everything 
everything. And we walk into this place singing these lyrics saying, God, I want a breakthrough. Would your miracle power come in? And yes, it can. But so often God wants to work on the root of that problem, not the symptom. So we're asking, God, would you break me free of this addiction? And God's like, no, 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 no. I want to break you free of the insecurity that led you to the addiction so that the addiction doesn't keep being the thing that you have to fight all the time. Well, God, will you fix me in my, in my relationships? And God's like, no, I want to fix you of the jealousy. That's the root of your problem because you keep being jealous of everybody and that's how you treat people differently. And it's like, listen, I want to treat, you, I want to treat the codependency that you have in your life so that you don't keep running back to the bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. But if you're only focused on the bad relationship, you're never gonna understand what I'm truly trying to heal. And Naaman was so focused on his physical healing that he didn't realize that he needed an inward change. And so what I wanna do with you guys right here, right now, is we need a little self-awareness. And so I'm gonna read some questions and I'm gonna read them slow so you can kinda just process through them in this moment. And I pray that God would break down any barriers that you've kind of put up, maybe some, some things that you've walked in here, some filters, and that you would be able to really get real with God at some point and ask some of these questions. What is it that God is really trying to heal? What is the root of the problem? And what is simply a symptom? Is there something that I'm not seeing? And do I have enough faith to trust that God might be at work in something deeper than surface level, and am I willing to let him go to those places? Those are some hard questions. They're really, really easy to read. They are really, really hard to ask yourself. But we need some self-awareness because I think we get so distracted by the thing that we can see, and we don't realize that God wants to do something greater in our lives, something deeper in our lives, and work on the root of the problems that we are seeing. And so if we're not gonna quit in the middle of our miracle, we have to have some self-awareness. But the second thing that we need to do is we need to seek godly counsel. Listen, we seek counsel all the time, but a lot of times we're seeking it from the wrong source. So we're like, listen, I'm gonna ask my homegirl of 20 years about how to stay committed in my marriage, but your homegirl has had 20 relationships in the 20 years that you've known her, and so she's probably not the best person that you should be getting advice from. You wanna get advice about your finances, and you're talking to your, your broke joke dude that you've known since middle school, but he's been broke since middle school and hasn't figured it out yet. And you realize, and you're trying to figure out why am I still stuck in my finances? Why am I still stuck in bad relationships? Why am I still stuck? It's because we're not getting advice from a godly source. And I'll never forget when I realized that I needed to seek out godly, a godly woman to really mentor me. I was 23 years old, I was not where I wanted to be in life. And I was like, man, how, I, I need somebody else. I think I need somebody to kind of speak into my life, to, to see it from a different perspective, somebody that's further along than me, that's where I wanted to be. And so I actually started to study some of the women at Coastal. I started to listen how people talked to people. I watched how they treated their husbands. I watched what they did with their finances. And I narrowed it down to these three women. And these three women I started to seek after. I was like, hey, can we meet up? Like, I'll drive to you. Can we have coffee? I, I had questions prepared. I had everything ready for that meeting. I showed up early and ready. And I was like trying to figure out how they talked to me because I don't know about you, but I need somebody in my life that is clear, concise, to the point, straightforward. I don't need somebody to beat around the bush because if you beat around the bush, I'm gonna beat around it too and we're not gonna get anywhere. And so I needed somebody that was gonna be super, super direct. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, Shayla McCormick is a little bit of a, a puncher. Uh, she can be straightforward. 
in the sweetest way possible. And what I loved about meeting with her is is I didn't only seek out encouragement. I think a lot of times we want people to puff us up. We want encouragement all the time. We're like, tell me I'm doing great. Tell me I'm doing awesome. We will only keep around friends that tell us we're doing great all the time. But what we really need are some friends that are going to correct us and to discipline us. And so I have not always loved meeting with Shayla. Listen, I love you, but like meetings with you are not always fun because sometimes I have to walk into these meetings with my tail between my legs because I know that I've done something stupid and I have to tell her like, hey, I messed up hey, I made the wrong decision here and I know that. And she gives me this look and I hate that look. Uh, It's the worst look in the world. Um, But in that moment, I know that I have somebody, one that I can trust with all of my junk, not just the good, but the bad and the ugly. Two, I have somebody that I know believes in me and that will encourage me and and help me out of that and help me realize, all right, you probably could have made a better decision here, but she'll also correct me and discipline me when she sees things inside of me that are not going to, that are not coming, that are not aligning with the woman of God that I've always wanted to be and with who God's called me to be and what God's called me to do. And so she has this tough voice in my life that I've allowed into my life to be able to be this correction. And we need that in all of our lives. And so she started telling me things at the age of 23, like, hey, you really need to meet with a financial advisor. And I was like, don't 50 year olds do that? And she's like, well, do you want to be where they're at at 50? And I said, well, yes. And she said, well, then you should probably meet with a financial advisor. And I was like, all right, cool. She's like, do you, uh, you need to start reading your Bible every day. And I was like, Shayla, uh, that's a, that's a far stretch. You see when I'm microwaving mac and cheese, a lot of times I don't read the, the directions that are on it. I just go up to the microwave. I open it up. I put it in. I say a potato is close to mac and cheese. And so I just hit the potato button and hope that it cooks it in the right time. Like this is going to be a little bit of a stretch, but okay. And if I'm honest with you, the woman that I am today is 100% because of godly counsel that I've had in my life that has reminded me of who God has called me to be and what God has called me to do. And if we are going to stick in this and not give up, we need godly counsel in our lives. We need to make sure that the people that are speaking into our lives are reminding us of God's word, that they're not just speaking from their own knowledge, but they are speaking from the wisdom of God's word into your life to encourage you to be everything that God has called you to be. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. All right, we're going to try that again because that wasn't really good. We're going to walk with the wise and become wise. Hey, that was good. Okay associate with fools and you're going to get yourself in trouble. Anybody else been there? Okay. So this is the perfect Christian crowd. Cool. So if we are going to stick in our miracle and not give up, we have to make sure that we have godly counsel. And the third thing that we have to do, if we're not going to give up in the middle of our miracle is that we need to commit to the process. You see, Naaman had to dip himself seven times in the Jordan, seven times. What it doesn't tell us is, did Naaman ever want to give up in that moment? What were his his thought processes in that place? What was he thinking with each dip? Was it like this one dip, fine. He kind of walks in there a little grudging. Remember, he was angry on the front end. So maybe he's walking into the Jordan a little upset. And so he jumps in the Jordan. He's like, this is so dumb. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm only doing this because my friends told me it's probably a good idea. And so then maybe he gets out of the water. He's like, what do you mean? I got to do this a second time. Okay, this is stupid. And he just does it just to do it. By about that third or fourth time, I'm guaranteeing frustration set in. Because a lot of times by by the third and fourth thing that God has asked us to do, we're like, God, can you just, can you just do what what you you said you do? You said you would heal me. You like to heal people. You were a healer then, you're a healer now. So can you just do what you're supposed to do? Can I be done? 
And that is where we stop. We walk in here with a financial crisis. And God's like, hey, your first dip that you're going to take is going to be to trust me with your finances. Because the symptom is a financial crisis. But the root of it is greed. And we keep praying these prayers, but if God would just bless me, I would be a blessing to those around me. I would give back to God tenfold. No, you wouldn't. Because if God can't trust you with $2 now, he can't trust you with 2000 later. And so he's in this moment where he's like, I need you to trust me with your finances. And this is where people get real weird. They get squirmy in their seats because they're like, oh, the church is asking me for my, I don't care. I don't want your money. Go give it to another local church. It doesn't matter. But what you need to do is, is start to create the habit of trusting God with your finances, trusting that he can make that 90% stretch way further than you can make 10%. And then the next dip that it might be, right? And he's like, I need you to pay your bills. And you're like, gotta pay my bills? But I want those new shoes, man. And, and I bought those new shoes on my credit card, so now I'm paying down the interest on my credit card because, you know, bills, what are bills? Then the government, you know. So we're like, nah, man, it's too difficult. It's like that third dip is, is, is hey, maybe you should put some money in savings. That might be a good idea. And at this point, we're like, no, no, this is too practical. Listen, it, he, he's the God of miracles. He's the God of, 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 of healing. He is this God that can, can change and do incredible things. And you're telling me that I have to do these practical steps in order to find a miraculous healing that this great God said that he could do. Because remember, Naaman didn't know this God for himself. This was some distant God that he had never seen miracles take place. And everybody had just claimed of his power. And Naaman is trying to figure out who this God really is. And so, so often we, we get to this place where we're like, nah, that's too practical for me. And we leave in the middle of the miracle. And we never get to feel and experience what God is doing. Or maybe you walked in here and you've had this habit of, of bad relationships and that's your symptom. And God's like, no, I wanna cure the, I wanna cure the root. And the root of that is your gossiping tongue. It's how you talk about people when they're not around. And you don't think the people catch on to that because you don't say it to their face. But people that are listening to how you speak about somebody else know that if the tables are flipped, you're going to talk just, you're going to talk about me the same way that you're talking about them. And so they start to distance themselves. And you walk into this place and you're like, man, I can't find community anywhere. I, can't, I don't have friends. Nobody likes me. Nobody talks to me. Nobody makes plans with me. And you just have all these reasons for why you can't find community. And the truth is, is that God is trying to heal that gossiping tongue. And so he's placed you in a place of isolation and of discomfort so that you'd hopefully get a little bit of self-awareness that you just might be the common denominator of all of that. And that there might be something inside your life that needs to heal before you can have some healthy relationships that you can walk out. 
And so here's what God tells you. God tells you, hey, I want you to get alone with me and ask some of those hard questions. And so you do that. And then God's like, hey, that second dip that I, I want you to do is is I want you to promise that you're only going to speak life-giving words over people because scripture talks about speaking only words that build up and lift up the fellow believers in faith. And so you're only going to speak positive words. And maybe that next dip, he's saying, hey, I want to reveal some unforgiveness in your life. There's a relationship that you had 20 years ago that you never asked for forgiveness and that unforgiveness has just plagued you like a cancer and has created this filter of how you view all the people that you come into contact with. And so you don't even give people a chance because you already have them as an arm's length because somebody broke your heart back in the day and so now you feel like you can't trust anybody and so you keep everybody at this arm's distance and you wonder why you can't make any friends or have any community. It's because you keep everybody this far. And it's because of something that happened back then. And you're like, what do you mean? Something back then can happen, can affect what's happening now? Absolutely. And so maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness for something. And you're like, oh, nah, man. I'm not going to humble myself that much to go back to that person who treated me wrong to ask for forgiveness that they don't deserve. That's affecting you more than you realize. And maybe God's like, all right, so that fourth dip, you've done all of these things, and that fourth dip is to join a connect group. And you're like, but I don't know anybody in there. Guys, can I give you a little secret? That is the whole point of connect groups. A lot of times we sit back and we're like, man, I don't want to join that connect group because I don't know anybody there. And it's like, but you don't know that the best friend that you have been praying for is not on the other side of that group. You walk in here and you complain about not knowing anybody at church, but connect groups is how you get to know people because it takes this big church into little small groups where you get to know people's names and they get to know who you are. And a lot of times we have excuses left and right for why we can't do the things that God is asking us to do. And I've just learned in life that we have a decision to make. We either can make moves or we can make excuses, but you can't do both. You can't keep walking forward towards the things that God's called you to do, all the while complaining about every step that he's had you to take. And so if we are not going to quit in the middle of our miracle, we need to start making some of the moves that God has called us to. And so this is going to sound super similar to Pastor TJ's message two weeks ago, but, but all I want you to know is do not give up. Don't give up in this moment. Don't give up. You might be four or five dips into the Jordan to your miracle. Don't give up right here. But if you will just press in to everything that God is trying to do in your life, you might actually get to see the miracle that God has for you. But we can't give up. You know, my favorite part of this whole story is in verse 15. If we go back to that, it says, the Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all of the world except in Israel. If you remember what I had you underline, it went from being Elisha's God to now Naaman knows this God personally. Naaman went into this whole thing expecting some distant genie that would grant all of his wishes and what he encountered was a personal God who wanted to be a part of every day of the rest of his life, yeah. to guide and to lead. 
And what I think is so unique about Naaman and where I think we find ourselves a lot of times is that we walk into this church building with a bunch of symptoms. We come in here with the broken relationships. Maybe we're at rock bottom with addictions, failing marriages. We're walking through hell and we decide that we're going to give heaven a chance. And so we walk into this place and we start singing worship songs. We're singing breakthrough miracle power. God, would you just do it in this moment instantaneously? Can I walk out of here just healed and whole, ready to go? And God's like, I want to do a work in you. And that work might take some moves. It might take you doing some things. And what's so beautiful is that your affliction that you walked in here with has been met with God's affection. And what he wants me to remind you of today is that he loves you. If I could look at each and every one of your faces individually and tell you that God loves you in the middle of your mess, in the decisions that you've made, in what you did last night, in what you'll do tomorrow, in the mistakes, in the greed, in the envy, in the jealousy, in the pride, in everything that is rooted inside of you, He chose to send his son to die for you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And I think so many times, sometimes our insecurity can actually keep us from a relationship with him because we don't feel worthy. But I'm here to tell you that he knew everything that you were going to do. He knew every bad word, every, every lie, every addiction, every bad decision, every bad relationship. He knew that you were going to do it all and he still chose to die for you. And it says in scripture that if we would admit that we are sinners, which Everybody in this room, everybody at Lighthouse Point, we all are. And we would believe that Jesus actually loved us so much to pay a price that we could not pay. And that if we would confess with our mouth that he is Lord and Savior, that we will be saved. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that all of you guys would close your eyes for a second. You know, maybe you walked in here praying for a miracle. And your miracle was something that you could see. It was a physical condition. And you didn't know, but God was about to wreck your life. And he was going to meet you in the middle of your mess and tell you that he loves you and that he wants a relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with this personal God, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's called the salvation prayer. And so maybe you've, you've prayed this before or haven't, and you haven't prayed it in a long time and you want to rededicate your life back to him or maybe you've never prayed. You've never had a relationship with this personal God. I would ask that you would just raise your hand on the count of three, whether you're here or whether you're at Lighthouse Point. One, two, three. Just raise your hand in this moment. Don't miss your opportunity to meet a God that cares so much about you, that he's not some distant genie, but he's a personal God that wants to be a part of your daily life. I see you. Thank you. It's the best decision that you could ever make. And you're just going to say these words. Say, hey, God, man, I know I need you. I'm so sick of doing this life without you, and so right now, 
I confess in this moment that I'm a sinner and my sin has, has separated me from you. And God, I know that you want a relationship with me, and so I'm choosing to believe in everything that you have done. I thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus to pay a price for me that I could not pay on my own. And today I choose you, not just as my savior, but as my Lord, to guide and to lead me all the days of my life. I've surrendered my will, my plans, my dreams for everything that you have for me. And God, I just pray for everybody else in this room that this wouldn't just be a message that stays in this place. But as we walk out of here, that we would take some time this week to really ask you some of these hard questions. God, what is it that you are truly trying to heal? Am I not seeing something that you are trying to work on inside of me? We all have something that we need healing from. And so God, as everybody walks out of this place and they start to dwell on the words that you have spoken, I pray that they would spend some time with you to figure out what it is that you are truly trying to heal. And God, I pray that we would have enough faith and enough courage to let you go to those spaces. And as you go to those spaces and you heal us of some of these deeply rooted things inside of us, God, I pray that there would be this outward transformation that takes place that attracts so many people around us because of you are getting all the glory and all the praise and all the honor for that healing, that those people around the people that walk out of this place today would come to know you as their personal savior because they are a walking example of who you are and who you've called us to be. And so God, I thank you for the miracles that are gonna take place in people's lives, the things that you are gonna heal people from, the stuff that you have planned for their lives and how they are gonna be an incredible example for you. God, I pray that you would get all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, and that so many people would come to know who you are because of the people that walk out of here and are examples of who you are. God, I thank you you, that you love us and that you have this amazing personal relationship with us where you have plans and wills and things for us. God, we praise you. We thank you. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we all say, amen. amen.